Mimosas with Michael. Mimosas with Michael. Mimosas with Michael. Everybody, it's uh, Michael Coulomb with Mimosas with Michael, and my special guest this week is Genevieve Rossi. Did I say that right? Yes. Yes, you okay. did. Good job. Well, we—I mean, we've talked before. I just don't. Just you and I have never been like. We've never had like a long, in-depth conversation per se. So I wanted to um, have you on the show this week to sort of talk about, you know, who Genevieve Rossi is, um, introduce you to my audience. Um, cause we're both in the industry. We're both, uh, big in horror. So we're both wrapped by the same manager. I like having all my managers guests on because we're all like family. Absolutely. So it's nice to, um, that's like her father. Connor. I know. I tell him all, I call him Papa Matt all the time. So he's I'll be talking to other clients. It's not even an age thing. It's just that he's, he actually has a very nurturing, uh, personality. I think. Well, and he's very, yeah, because he's very caring and nurturing with his clients, which um, I find sort of refreshing and it's nice because what I like about him is um, if I could be having a bad day in my career or I could be having a bad day in my life, but either way I can call him and talk. And I think, I think, that's, I think that's important in a manager because they, they really kind of just, they encompass your life. You know, they manage you as a person. So... If he doesn't know about the people, but also nurturing our careers, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so speaking of careers, that's a nice segue into, um, into your career. So you've done many, many, many movies. I went through your whole IMDb page and then I thought we can talk about movies specifically, but you've kind of done so many. So I kind of, I don't know, we could take a stab at a few of them, but I mean, you are an actress first and foremost, but would you also consider yourself a screen queen? I feel like in some ways you are, um, but I don't know how you consider yourself. That's an interesting label because I feel like the screen queen term is a little bit of a blessing and a curse because it holds you a little bit. Yeah. And people have different ideas screen queen is. I think a screen queen is just somebody that's like an actress that's very well known for doing horror movies. And now yeah. gender equality term screen king, so men can be screen king. So, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take I, that honor. But people sometimes attach different meanings to it, but I think it just basically means you've done a lot of horror movies and you're an actor or an actress. You know? Yeah, well, that's why I classified you as an actress first, because I know that's what you are. But I do know um, you're, you're more well, I mean, you're well known in, in the horror, because that's kind of how I know you. So I just, I thought I'd sort of talk about that term screen queen. Because um, Matt does yeah. rep a few, and I know so many screen queens, so it's kind of like, I mean, I love horror, so they're, you know, I know a lot of screen queens. You can keep yourself very busy doing horror movies, too, because, you know, it has such a niche market, more than any other genre. I could really be shooting something almost every month, which I usually do, shoot something about every month, and keep myself really busy. That's why, you know, I started asking, I see my IMDb 
in um, 2012, and I'm up to like 105 credits. I would yeah. imagine if I was doing comedies, I probably wouldn't be uh, racking up credits so quickly. Or maybe I would be, you know, but probably not. Uh, <laughs> you never know. But one thing I, which I love about horror is the, the, the community itself is very loyal. Um, even if like, because like, okay, I love, I love a specific part of genre. Like I love, um, I love slashers and I like thrillers and then I also kind of like ghost stories, but there's like, there's sub genres. So instance, my cousin is a huge horror fan, but he loves like the B horror. Like if it has the word massacre in it, he's going to watch it. Like if it was, there's like a bowling alley massacre, you know, if there was like barbecue massacre, like anything like that, like that's like his thing. But even... Even though that there's there's horror, like people will watch it. You know, even if it doesn't look good, they're like, ah, it's horror. I kind of still have to watch it. Like there's there's something about horror. I think that the audience loves, and it's really great to make. Like during this during the pandemic, um, my friends and I had I was writing a web series that they were kind of shooting with their friends that were already together for safety reasons. So, um, but it's easy to do because you know you can just turn the lights off and light some candles and just shoot something really scary. And I, that's one thing I love about horror. I think that's why it's so easy to do. It's very adaptable because it's like you, if you want to do a horror movie, but you were limited to your apartment, you could probably write a great one. Or if you had to shoot in your backyard or your basement, you probably would be able to come up with something. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's, I think that's one thing I love about um, horror. And I think that's what the audience loves about horror too, is like, is it? It's really just about scaring people, and, and and like, you know, whereas comedy you have to make people laugh, and with drama you have to make maybe people cry or feel something, but with horror you have to scare them. Okay, so what you got you? Laugh, make people cry with horror too, you know, depending That's on where you want to take your. You know, it can definitely elicit a great emotional response. You know, not just fear, but I've watched horror movies that made you like teary eyed. Or a lot of them True. make you laugh. I'm in a lot of, in fact, um, horror comedy is definitely like that a cross genre that's really popular. A lot of people that don't like horror movies will yeah. watch a horror comedy, and a lot of people that love horror movies will watch a horror comedy. Yeah, that's probably one of the remarkable subgenres. But I love all the subgenres. Like sci-fi horror is great. Yeah, you know? that's fun when you blend both of those together. Um, you know, and then also dramatic horror. And I, I always loved B-rated horror since I was a kid, going back to watching, like, Vincent Price movies. Like, I think one of the first horror movies I ever saw was The Pit and the Pendulum with oh, Barbara yeah. Steele and Price. And that really affected me um, as a film, you know, based on Edgar Allan Poe, who I love Edgar Allan Poe. I've also acted in a couple of Edgar Allan Poe plays. He's my favorite. Yeah. I love Edgar Allan Poe. He inspired oh, me to yeah. be a writer. Timeless, you know. It's amazing that he died like successful, you know, and poor, and then like his literature is just still with us today. You know? I know it's it's like he's more popular posthumously than he was when he was alive. As an artist, that terrifies him. It's tragic for him, of course. You know. I know. Imagine that such a literary genius and just not being uh, valued in your time. I think that's what, there's a lot of sirens because I'm sitting outside, sorry. Um, what is it? Can you hear the sirens? My whole neighborhood must be on fire. I've been hearing sirens since I've been sitting here. There's been sirens. Yeah, where are you, in Los Angeles? I live in Van Nuys, up in, up in the oh, valley okay. of Los Angeles. Um, but they're gone now. So I was going to say, 
that's what scares me as an artist because I really love Edgar Allan Poe. I love his writing. I love the sort of gothic feel that he has. And I'm always so terrified because I work every day to, to build my career. And I feel like it's like, it's, if people are like, oh, you're going to break through eventually. I'm like, I know, but I'm not going to live forever. So it's got to happen soon. And I'm always terrified that like, I'll die like him. And then all of a sudden I'll be the most popular guy long after I'm dead. I know I can't think like that, but that does. I think it was like that too. Edgar Allan Poe, Nathaniel Hawthorne had some um, I notoriety. Shakespeare was actually very, very successful during his life. Yeah. But, but a lot of them, yeah, a lot of them aren't. So you do kind of wonder about that. Sometimes people don't realize what a great genius you are until later. You know, even um, Herbin Melville that did Moby Dick, he died thinking Moby Dick was a failure. Oh. <laughs> you know, I guess I guess we never know. I mean, it's never true because like Matt will tell me all the time. He goes, "No, I think you're successful." Like every time I talk about you, people know who you are and they like you. And I'm like, "Okay, that's good because it's like we're so busy living." Now there's a helicopter. We're so busy living our lives that I think sometimes we forget sort of like how people view us as artists because I'm always striving to be better. So I think that the last thing I did was great, but I I keep looking towards the future. Because I want to make different projects, so maybe that's why. I don't know. And it's difficult, I know, as an actress, um, for me, like, you know, sometimes you don't realize how your work affects people. Like, a yeah. couple of years ago, I went to Birmingham Horror Con in England, and I'm a guest in England, which seemed kind of crazy. And then I'm people that have watched movies of mine, um, like, you know, in um, England, and I was just amazed at what films they had actually seen. Some of them were my more obscure movies that I thought almost no one had seen. Oh, that's and I was funny. And they know about these movies, so I'm just like, wow. You know? <laughs> well, that's gotta be a cool feeling, though. Yeah, yeah, like one one young guy, I think he was like 22, and he had watched a short film I did called Wanting Day, and not many people have ever mentioned that short film, even though it's, I had a lot of fun doing it, and I think it's a great film. But I don't meet that many people that mention that particular one. It's a little bit, a bit obscure for me. But here's this 22-year-old kid in England, in Birmingham, and he's watched it and he liked it. So I'm like, wow. He's one of the few people that I've mentioned next. I have an IMDb of 105. And then, you know, certain films people mention a lot, like Herschel Gordon-Lewis' Blood Mania, maybe yeah. Hunter. You know, some of the other ones come out, of, you know, Apocalypse Kiss. Some of them come up fairly regularly in conversations, and then some of them don't as much. So it was just really interesting to be in England and having uh, somebody recognize some of my films that I don't even think of as being um, something that even it, someone in England would know about. But That's so fat. Had, had you always wanted to be an actress, or is that something you stumbled into? Like, how did you get your start? Because, I mean, it's got to be very rewarding. I think... Um, you know, life kind of derailed me from that for a little while, and then it kind of, you know, what are they? What's that thing that they say? Sometimes uh, you find your destiny on the road you took to avoid your destiny. So, you know, it all kind of came to. A, I did some film work when I was in college, um, some short films and feature films for people. God knows if those ever got finished. They're not on my IMDb. I have no idea what happened to anything. And then. Uh, and then I, I think I was even in like a horror movie in Neptune, New Jersey many years ago when I was in college. I have no idea if that was ever completed. And then um, in 2012, I was in Jacqueline Slasher, Jen Valdez's movie. Her sister asked me if I wanted to be in it. I play a sexy Satanist. 
And then right after that, I was in I Spill Your Guts, uh, which was released first, so it shows up as my first IMDb credit. And then after that, I just started doing movie after movie after movie. And I had been acting before that, but like I said, it, you know, it was like maybe like some theater stuff in college, short films, and things that just never really seemed to go anywhere, you know? Yeah. And then, like, what do you love about acting then? Because it seems almost like something you kind of fell into, in a, in a sense. A little bit, yeah. But you kind of have to go with things. So, like, when I fell into acting a couple film roles, I decided, you know, what would happen if I kind of put myself into this and was more committed to this to see where it would go. And at, at a certain point in the first couple of years, I was sometimes doing a couple of films a week. Yeah. And just, like, hanging out, credits, and keeping myself very occupied with this. And just trying to like learn and grow and evolve as an artist and things like that. Um, so I, I just fell into it, but then you know, life is, I guess, about um, you know, the luck that comes with having an opportunity fall in your lap, but yeah. then the sort of person who takes, takes that opportunity and runs with it too. Yeah, and, and that's you know, that's fun. So you also write and direct a little bit, right? Because like, we both had a movie in the same festival, and we both won. Oh, yeah, I had a little award. That's how we got introduced to each other, is that you had to go pick up my award. Yes. For the Israel Production Genre Festival, where I took my short film, Attack of the Killer Chickens, won Best. Yes, Best Greenhouse. Best, yeah. That's a cute Adorable. trophy. I have, I have mine. Um, and Ed, Edward's actually been on the show. He, he might be on again soon. Um, but that was a fun little film. What was the idea for that movie? Well, it actually, um, everybody thinks it's like it was inspired by Poultry Guys by Trauma, which I've never actually seen that movie, so I can't say that inspired me. What it actually, I'm sure it's a great film, but what inspired me is that I was uh, listening to the news and they said, right now in the world there are actually more chickens than there are humans. So then I kind of thought, wouldn't it be funny if chickens were trying to take over the world because they outnumber us? Right. So I guess it's a kind of a blending of Night of the Living Dead and the birds and a whole bunch of other dot ideas all combined into this short film. Yeah. Um, which I uh, I directed that a couple of years ago and um, I star in it. I wrote it and I put my friends and my fellow actors in it and it did very well. It's one I think like I don't know maybe eight awards or something like that and it's gone to maybe at least forty film festivals, which is pretty good considering it was my first time directing something we did actually shoot in like one day uh, yeah that actually is really good 40 film festivals yeah. is amazing yeah thank you well you know part of it is um you know matt helped me in submitting it to film festivals and a lot of times you have to make sure that your film fits the programming for the film festival yes you know, act of the killer chickens would not be appropriate for a lot of film festivals so it's all about finding the right fit for it of course that's, that's, that's actually yeah, it's true. Like when I submit to film, I mean, I study film festivals and then I, I try to look at like uh, what they mostly show if they do it because I mostly do horror. So like sometimes bigger film festivals might even just have a horror block. That's really about it. So, you know, you could have 60 people sending movies that where they only show five. So it's so I try to take those things into consideration, too, when submitting films. And I it's marketable in the sense like, the, you know, how long it was, who I put in it. You know, the subject matter is a horror comedy, which I think is a little bit more marketable than it just being regular horror. I made of it course. Minutes, which is usually they prefer for film festivals, six and a half minutes. You know, things like that come into play. 
And then um, it did very well, so now we're in the process of turning into a feature film. Oh, that'll be exciting, especially yeah. in this in this day and age. Um, so, do you have a a role specifically that you've done that you enjoy? That was like one of your favorites. I know it's so weird to like narrow it down, but I had a few roles that I really enjoy. Um, let's see. Well, you know, I guess roles that I find challenging. So I guess I'll look at some of the ones that stand out. You know, I, I've had a lot of really cool roles, and I I would say that as a screen queen and a horror actress, a lot of my roles have kind of broken the mold. Like I, I've been a little bit typecast as like a gypsy or like a satanist kind of character. But then okay. I've also other. And Apocalypse Kiss, I play a pregnant woman. I'm nine months pregnant in that movie, and I give birth. Oh, that nice. was kind of. And Hunters, I play, play like a uh, a murdering psychopath. So that was always good. And uh, and things like that. You know, I I haven't played like the traditional role too often. Um, I I was in a movie Deceiver a while back, and I actually that was my first time playing a prostitute. So I thought mm. it was really that it's like my hundredth film. And I finally get to play a, a prostitute, which is like oftentimes like a woman's first or fifth movie is her playing a prostitute. Because that is like such a typical role for a woman. <laughs> that's interesting. I yeah, well, yeah, that's so true. I never thought about that. Yeah, you yeah. don't realize like a stripper or a prostitute. Um, unfortunately, I guess with typecasting for women, a lot of my female friends did that as like their first or like their first you know, five movies, you end up yeah, being kind of thrown into there. So I didn't mind playing a hooker for my hundredth movie because I don't feel like I've been typecast as a hooker at that yeah. point. <laughs> so is there like a role you want to play that you've never done before? Um, just because you've had such a, a wide range of characters that you've played. But what would you want to play? enjoy playing, I guess, some of the darker roles because I think we, uh, sometimes in the horror genre, we really have had that iconic female character who's been like a Freddy Krueger or a Jason or a Michael Myers. And I think that's something that we, is yet to be realized. And I would love to play like a character um, that's like an iconic, you know, dark murderous character that shows, you know, the, the dark side, you know, in, in women too. Yeah. Well, we definitely need more. I mean, we definitely need more female serial killers, perhaps. I mean, I don't like you know you get people like Eileen Warnos. I mean, it's it's something that's not explored often, which I think should be. I mean, I, I like to write really strong women in my my um, scripts, and so does Brantley, my writing partner, which he was just on the show. Um, mm. We try to write really strong characters. I think that may, might be because we're just both gay, so we know what it's like to be oppressed in a sense but i've always but i mean you know we're also um kind of motivated by the strong women in our life like my mother my grandmother i've had very strong female teachers okay. so um hopefully keep fingers crossed because that'd be kind of a fun role i think for you to play like a like a female serial killer i, or something. Like, the, I like playing like darker kind of kinds of roles like that and then i just feel like that's something that's really lacking is that we just really haven't had this iconic female character that's like a murderer yeah yeah. You know, there's no horror movie that, that has a, a female, like, lead horror where any of these, like, part of the 13th Nightmare on Elm Street or anything like that, you know? I know. I know. I'm hoping in the next couple of years we can get that out there so the audience can enjoy it. I, I think they'd be... I th no, because women love horror just as much as men, so why can't they see... It's so... I don't know. It's just a strange industry in a lot of ways. 
Well, when I met Eli Roth at Tribeca a couple of years ago, he was saying that nowadays the average horror fan is a female millennial. And you have to make movies that a female millennial would like. And but but at the same time you don't want like the male viewers not to enjoy it too. So you can have strong female characters, you can have strong male characters. Obviously we could have strong African American minority actors as well. Everybody, you know, we can you know, bring everybody aboard. And then, you know, if we're going to have female nudity, we probably want to have male nudity. You want to kind of balance things out a little bit. I am everybody is, you know. Yeah. I find it interesting that Eli Roth says that the audience is like 20-year-old millennials because I, I'm i assuming that's sort of true probably with, with modern-day horror, but I'm telling you, I when I go to these conventions and horror film festivals all the time, I'm always surprised when I find people who are horror fans. I went to a, um, a film festival a few years ago, and there's these two older ladies, I would say in their 60s. You wouldn't think anything of them, very unassuming. They're just sitting there together in this theater, and I and I started talking to them because they were very sweet. And I was like, when I think of horror movies, I wouldn't think of sixty-year-old women. And they're like, we love horror; we see horror all the time. It's like, and they were just like, they were just sitting in the back of the theater, just watching these movies. They were having the time of their life. And it's so interesting when you say that because that's not been my experience. Now, I'm not saying that's not who probably buys the most tickets. I would have millennials do it. Going to a horror movie is kind of a fun date thing, I guess, in a way. But I'm just surprised that people don't think that just because you're older, you don't. I mean, we still like movies. It's you know, people. Oh, absolutely. Like absolutely. Um, you know, and then I look at like the horror fans that I meet at conventions, and demographically, they kind of run the gambit because like I'll go to like a convention like the one in Birmingham, and I'll have people come, you know, from like you know England, Sweden, America, whatever, yeah. um, and some of their twenties but they might be 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. You might be surprised at how old, you know, the demographic runs, you know. Um, and then I think the younger women being interested, younger millennial type people being interested in horror is partly because we have things like Twilight and we have... Um, Not true, yeah. You know, all the, you know, the zombie TV shows and movies and everything, like Walking Dead, have become really popular. So then they've been exposed to horror through the mainstream, and that's made them interested in horror in general, more yeah. than they had before, you know? I, I That's actually a fair assessment. I, I, I appreciate that. But it's true. I was at Texas Frightmare Weekend last year. I was supposed to go this year, but it got moved because of COVID-19. Um, last year, and I was hanging out with some friends and there was this older couple, a man and a woman. I want to say they were in their seventies. Um, and she, she walked with a cane. God love her. They were probably the sweetest people I've ever met in my life. Um, and they were standing in line because they were so excited to get everybody's autograph. I mean, that's not something you see because you would think, but they were, they went to, they stood in line for every person. They wanted to get their signatures. They, they were going to all of the, um, the photo opportunities they they were talking to people as they were walking around. I mean, the seven year old couple. It was so inspiring. I mean, I'm sh I'm assuming you probably see that at Comic Con too. But um, because horror is such a specific genre in a lot of ways, you know, it's it's very niche. So to see that, especially especially not just loving horror, but the fact that they were like there at a convention, walking around, talking to people, and being involved in it, it was just like I want to be that when I get older. I still want to be able to be seventy and like going to conventions and having drinks with people and just talking and being a part of it. I mean, I love that culture. So, 
Well, then the amazing thing you get to remember and why it's so important to bring in the young people now is that those people in their 70s probably have been horror fans since they were 20. Exactly. Exactly. And they probably introduced it to their... You know? It's like a whole cycle because they say, like, if you think about marketing, we usually establish our brand, our favorite genres, our favorite actors when we're, like, a teenager. Maybe we're in high school. Yeah. And then establish that and that stays with you your whole entire life usually yes yeah i've always been a fan of horror i've watched it with my father and um my nephews i introduced it to them and we actually during the holidays we don't really watch christmas movies my father my nephews and i always watch horror movies and that it's like a weird transition a couple of those <laughs> right say that again horror movies you can watch too right like Sunday Night, Deadly Night, and things like that. That's like well, another show. Of There's quite a few, I think, horror Christmas movies. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so we we have only a few minutes left, and I wanted to um, ask you. So you were talking about introducing, and I, I don't. This doesn't have to be specific for horror, but introducing um, the audience to, to movies. What advice would you give to the younger generation? being in life or being part of your career, trying to be an actress? Like, what would you tell the younger? I love to ask this question of everybody. What would I ask is, is tell the young people? Oh, you know, acting is a really, really uh, difficult profession. It takes a lot of endurance. It takes a lot of inner strength. It's not as easy and as glamorous as you think it's going to be. So I think it's something that maybe almost chooses you more than you choose it. And, um, you know, you know, it's definitely worth something maybe trying, but I don't think it's really maybe the path for everybody because it is a more difficult path than one realized. Yeah. And then um, what advice would you give to young women then? Not just I the think, young, but like young women. Or I like, think if we're going to change the world, I think, as women and we want more female characters and more female-driven things, we need more women writing, directing, and acting. You know, we need to take the helm more. We have to end up being the ones that, you know, create things. Instead of complaining that there aren't enough films for women, you have to create films for women. Yeah, that's actually... That, minorities, you know, or, or anything like that. Minorities, we need more women taking the helm and creating their own stories. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I tell that advice to um, to to women and, and people of color and, and gay and lesbian. It's like, you just got to... If, if you find out there's a story that there that doesn't relate to you, write one that does, you know, you'd be surprised at like, if you universally, we all experience the same thing, you know, and I, I'm from the mindset that I can watch anybody in the same situation and totally relate to it because I'm relating to the situation. I'm not relating to the person telling me the story per se. Well, they, also, they say in acting, the more specific you make it, the more universal it is. Yeah. See, I think that's, that's a great quote. So thank you for that. Yeah. Great action. Um, yeah. I love it. That, but there you go. We'll put that. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, anyways, with that, um, I'm going to wrap this up. You were great. I'm so glad we had a chance to finally talk. Um, where can people find you? Um, absolutely, this is great. Uh, www.genevieverossi.com. They can easy. check out my MDB page. They can check out my uh, Facebook, my Twitter, and I'm also on Instagram. How do we spell? G-E-N-O-V-E-V-A-R-O-S-S-I. 
definitely. And we'll, and we'll put all that in the show notes too, with links and everything. Uh, so people can find you. Um, I hope one day we get to meet in person and actually have a real mimosa and or coffee and tea. Uh, it'll be great. I know you live on the East coast. Oh yeah. And thank you for picking up my award. It's adorable. <laughs> oh no, he's great. Isn't he adorable? Yeah. Um, so with that said, everybody, uh, this has been Michael Colomb and Mimosas with Michael. Thank you so much to Gina Lee Marassi for taking time out of your busy life. Um, and um, you can find us on Spotify. We're on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, um, Anchor, or also at um, mimosaswithmichael.com. So thank you very much, everybody. Thank you.